Hey, and a very warm welcome to the Into the Light Web podcast with me, your hostess, Joanna Hunter, metaphysical teacher, spiritual life and business coach, published author, and the high priestess of the Light Web, a spiritual technology that will change your life. This is the place to be to talk everything under the Light Web from consciousness, relationships, to money, to spiritual business, and everything in between. Hey, it's Shwana Hunter here for the Into the Light Web podcast. And I have got a cracker for you this week. This is one of my business heroes appearing right here on my Million Dollar Lab series. This guy is a New York Times bestseller with titles such as Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, Surge, and Clockwork amongst many of his titles. These are real favourite books of mine and uh, on business and I got was my absolute delight to be able to pinch half an hour of Mike Michalowicz's time and ask some really juicy questions and discuss all things business and what drives Mike Michalowicz. So I hope that you really, really enjoy this episode and I will catch you in the comments. Hi Mike, I am so excited to have you on the show. So um, here in the Million Dollar Lab series we are getting up close and personal with self-made millionaires and people who have built seven-figure businesses. Now by the time you were 35 you had not only built one but two seven-figure businesses and sold them and moved on to other things. Tell us a little bit about that journey yeah, sure. So the uh, the building the businesses and selling them felt great, but honestly, you know, building those businesses—they were both in the tech space—was uh, a, a hand to mouth survival. And so it's funny when people see a resume, you're like, "Oh, built and sold a company—that's uh, amazing," but you don't know the backstory. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really appreciate the backstory. I thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm so good. I'm so smart. I'm amazing. So I might as well keep starting businesses." So one thing that I exclude from my CV is my third business, which was a angel investing company. Um, I'm horrible at it. I actually call myself the angel of death. Now I was, (laughs) I was so bad. I, 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 every company I invested in collapsed, probably been better without me. And I lost all my wealth. Um, everything I had earned. Okay. And it it was at, at that, that rock bottom moment that, um, it inspired me to reinvestigate everything I knew about entrepreneurship. I I thought I understood it and I didn't. And uh, that's why I've become an author. I've been doing it now, I want to say 15 years, um, but but researching the things I don't understand about entrepreneurship and simplified them so I can do them. I I own businesses today and and I want to deploy these techniques, but also I just love the entrepreneurial journey and I want to serve as many entrepreneurs as possible as an author. I love that. Do you know what I love about your books? Because I'm a fan of your books, but I am a 22, I've been 22 years as an entrepreneur. So I started my first business at the age of 23. Yeah. I have had multiple businesses, run multiple businesses uh, during, you know, many, you know, many at the same time, things like that. All the things that you're not meant to do, did them all. Invented some mistakes that other yeah. people didn't even know what's possible to do. And I, I <laughs> did them too, you know? Yeah. So 
but what I love is when I read your books, I really get this sense of this is not, you know, somebody who's just like gone, oh, I want to be an author. Oh, and, yeah. I, and there's nothing, there's no substance behind it. Like when yeah. I read your books, I can, I know when I hear when you're recommending something or you're sharing a technique or you're sharing something like it's it's next level because it's like this is true tried and tested it's not just one entrepreneur that's tried this there's multiple entrepreneurs behind it you can feel it one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was in um I think I'm hope I'm quoting this from the right book but I think it was the queen bee role which was that was so eye-opening for me thank you yeah um and you know what it actually redesigned my business when oh, I, awesome. it redesigned my business that question of what is the queen bee role and you used an example of a baseball company of all things You're right 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 you know so far removed from my coaching world but it was like there you know you think baseball is to play baseball right like right, the, right. the end of it right and then the fact that they were like no it's actually to entertain people it's like boom yeah so shift yeah, the key to this, so the, the queen bee role was derived from what's called biomimicry. So what I believe to be true is, is something that nature figures out. I mean, she's spent you know, billions of years figuring yeah. stuff out. One way is borrow those ideas. And uh, the queen bee role was the realization in beehives specifically that at any time, there can only be one most critical function for the survivability of the entire hive. And what it is, is the production of eggs. That's how the bees continue to survive. They got need to produce eggs. The queen bee happens to be one serving that function. My point is the queen bee serves an important function, but the queen bee isn't the most important bee. They all must serve that role of making sure eggs are produced. They all serve a different job doing that. So the question is in your business, what's that one thing that's the egg production? What's the one thing that keeps it going? That's the most important thing. And a, a shortcut to get there is basically you look at what, what do you stake your reputation on? Well, this baseball team, they're called the Savannah Bananas. Awesome name. Awesome name. Awesome name. <laughs> the Savannah Bananas realized that they're not out to win games. They're out to win fans. And that entertainment was the key factor. They, they're a small community team. They're not a major league professional team. So they want to engage families. So the entertainment is key. They want to be known for extremely fun family entertainment. Therefore, the role or the function that makes that, the most critical function that makes that a reality is the creation of new ideas. If families are going to come back day in, day out, they don't want to see the same five or six events. They want to see constant change. So the creation of these engaging ideas is their number one function. So this baseball team dedicates one day a week to simply creating new ideas. And uh, then they come out with all these new ideas and they're rolling it out at the following game. I've now had the privilege to go to two of these games in person. It is the most engaging, thrilling, fun, laugh out loud experience I've ever had. And uh, the, the numbers speak for it. They are generating millions and millions in revenues where their contemporaries are lucky to scratch together a few hundred thousand dollars. They are on ESPN, which is the biggest network here for sports in the US. They are on more than any other team in the, what's called the minor leagues or the all-star leagues. They are as popular almost as some of the major teams, professional teams, because they focus on the QBR. Yeah. I mean, that that story in the book was so inspiring to me. And it really made me look so long and hard at my business. And I realized that 
not only were we not always meeting the queen bee role first of all i didn't even know what it was right, right, I, right. I had to kind of really think like <laughs> right. oh wait a minute what's it. the thing that leads to the sales let me let me get in there but then when i started realizing that i also felt some shame around fulfilling that role because i had this thing and it's come from when I had my other businesses and things like that, because I built all my, all my businesses were startups. So they were all startups. I built them from scratch and I'm, and I was very kind of immature when I first built them because I was 23 years of age. Right. So um, wet behind the ears was not even like, I, you know, it, it was, it was a disaster to start with until I found my feet, you know? And the, the thing is that, there was this whole thing of like oh princess joanna wants to have it this way you know because like i i kind of like and i think that's quite normal in people who start businesses young that they feel somehow that they're um that they're being demanding or they're being this or that and i realized that when we realized what the queen bee role was in in my business and then realized that i felt a little bit of shame of fulfilling it and, and saying well Guys, you're going to have to give me space to do this. Right, right. Well, welcome to humanity, right? Exactly. You're, you sound very human. And uh, Joanna, I, I had the same experience. My fear was if uh, if I do the exalted stuff that they will think I am the king of the kingdom. And actually the reverse happened. What, what we do when we deploy our business, and listen, I don't care if you're a solopreneur, every business owner has a team around them. If you're a solopreneur, it's your vendors, the, the part-time or, or virtual help you have, even the clients themselves are supporting Absolutely. the process. So I, I have employees. Uh, I went to my colleagues here and I said, you know, this is the most important function. And the most important function for us is writing books. Like mm-hmm. we have to produce excellent books. And um, for us to do that right now, I am serving that role. And in order for this whole company to sustain, everything else that needs to be delivered shouldn't be delivered by the person that's writing the books it's got to do an excellent job writing the books. And they said, great. And we're going to hold you accountable. This is the most interesting thing. They said, Mike, when we see you trying to sneak off and, and do some uh, you know administrative stuff, we're going to slap you in the hand and say, get out of there. We're doing that. And they started taking greater ownership of their jobs. So that was significant. <clears throat> but also the ultimate freedom from the business is where there's no dependency on a single person. So I, I painted myself a little bit in the corner saying, well, I'm the only person writing books. So we've had strategy plans about how do we continue to produce and have impact without me writing the books? And we came up with the concept of what we call derivatives. So Profit First is my most popular book. We now have uh, four in circulation and about five more coming out that are Profit First for healthcare providers, Profit First for gyms and so forth. These are produced by other authors. And now the brand continues to expand. We continue to have the impact but the queen bee role now isn't served by one queen bee. There's a mix of bees that are producing it. And that's been a big change. I woke up one day and said, oh my gosh, I'm not the, the owner of the business. I'm simply a steward. My role has been to start this. But if I control it and it's all restricted to me, I'm taking ownership of it. Instead, I got to be a steward and actually allow it to continue to expand under the direction and confines of the vision that I have but not be the critical function or person that impedes everything else. I love that. And listening to you right now has given me so much hope because 
I define that the queen bee role could only be fulfilled yeah, by sure. me. So as a coach, so, and I think many coaches probably feel sure. the same, but I feel like that's kind of just expanded my mindset even more, just thinking, yes, it could possibly be in the future. We could expand it further. That's, let me just insert something here. That, that's excellent because the first stage of a business running itself is first identifying that critical role and the owner typically fills it. The second stage is to remove the owner themselves. It often requires out-of-the-box thinking because what got you to that first level was the control. The next level is the release. That's another thing that I really love because you really have, I am literally like a recovering control freak, like many <laughs> entrepreneurs. So one of the other things that I, I thought this time, I think this was in the pumpkin plan. And I really loved when, uh, no, it was still clockwork. I think this was clockwork that where you talked about, um, you've got to let people do the job, even if you can see that they're going to do it badly so that you've got to give them the, you know, you've got to give them the space to grow and start thinking for themselves, right? The employees. Yeah. And you can't just be, because I was like, I was like that, that mama bear that hen pecks, like, you know, and so I might as well be doing the job myself instead of actually giving my team the space to figure it out. And sometimes watching them figure that out and be like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to go back there, but that's okay. But you gave me the, the kind of permission in a way in reading that is that there was something that you said, I can't quote it line for line, but it was a piece in that book. And you said, because if you do not give them the ability to start thinking for themselves, you'll always be thinking for them. That's right. And it yep. was, it was so like, okay, permission granted to let them do it their way and figure out and find a way. And what has happened to my team is my team are next level. They're coming up with like incredible ideas. Uh, yes. They are like taking ownership of different yes. parts of the business. They are delivering next level to our clients. Like it's so cool. And I, I can see, like, I can almost see where like my road diverged and how horrible it could have been. But True. that piece in your book really just changed how I did things. Um, Talking a little bit about more of hiring people and bringing people on, because I think that's a huge sticking point sure. for growth. Um, and we had uh, the lovely Natasha Bray on the podcast, and she said, you know, kind of hire before you're ready, which I thought was great advice as well. Um, what are your tips on really starting to outsource pieces of your business? Because obviously that control is hardwired to start with. Yeah, yeah. I, I find that the, the first person that needs to learn a new skill is inevitably the owner of the business, ourselves. And it really is the learning of delegation. There's a great misunderstanding around it. And, and, and I was the one who misunderstood it. I thought the delegation was the assignment of tasks and the management of them is absolutely not. Delegation is the assignment of outcomes, expectations, but not you know micromanaging and nitpicking, as you were sharing, all the steps of the way along. Giving people the right to get the outcome on their own accord. And, and this is a form of empowerment that people feel very empowered. But it's really risky to say, you know, the most important thing I have to do is write books. I'm gonna outsource writing books or, or assign that outcome. Let's see how we do. The fear is too great. So to slowly build my way up, I need to start with the most uh, regimented, uh, boring, basic tasks. You know, every uh, week we need to get these invoicing out. And, and I don't like to do it, but, but I was the only one doing it. I first assigned that out. I didn't say, here's how, you know, here's what you do, step one, step two, check in on me and all these things. 
I simply said, we have a best practice, but the outcome is we need to build timely and accurately. And uh, sure enough, when I did this person employee I signed it to, her name was Jackie. She came back and said, well, I have some questions. That's the key, right? In this moment, we have to bite our tongue and say, I know you have questions. What's your answers? Like we have to push the decision-making back on their heads. And um, th- that becomes effective if we stick with it. The problem is we start saying, oh, here's the way I do it. Here's a shortcut. Now we're taking back the control and it, it defeats the entire process. So assign the outcomes. Here's the biggest element though. Once you start assigning the outcomes, they are going to make mistakes just like we do as business owners. Mm. You have to say, that's okay, find the new path. If we say, oh, you made a mistake, this is the way it should have been done. We will take the control back and it defeats the entire process of empowering people. So assign outcomes, assign the flexibility to make mistakes and let them resolve them on their own. I love it. And it's really emboldened and empowered my team and they, they're they really bringing their A game. And I think it's because they've got the room to grow now. Whereas before I was kind of like snipping their branches off before they even had a bud yes. there, you know? And it was like pruning too much. And the thing that I find most draining in my business as well was the micromanaging. And um, it's it's my pe- my personal pet peeve is to micromanage. I, I don't like it. I <laughs> feel drained by it. And so it's been such a relief because it's taken that like something that I, I was doing. It's taken that off. And the team are just like, as each month progresses, the team are just getting stronger and stronger, which is, mm. you know, which is the, the outcome. And this is one of the things where I have, you know, loved the books that I've read of yours. You've got a new book coming out called Get Different. Tell us a little bit about that because I'm really excited about that one. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited too. Actually, check this out. It's, uh, it's literally right here. This is the, what's called past pages. So right. I'm going through it literally as we speak to get the final elements in place. What I discovered is that for the vast majority of small businesses, the marketing we do doesn't work. We become very dependent upon referrals from our existing clients, word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I actually was doing surveys and people, when I asked them, how do you get your leads? They were very proud to say, ooh, word of mouth. And, and we should be proud of that because that means our reputation precedes us. But it also means that we are at the whim of our customers to do the marketing for us. And so what we experience then is these marketing dips, like, oh my gosh, I haven't had a lead in two months because no one's referring me business. And all of a sudden we're lucky that a client refers uh, another client to us. So in Get Different, it's how do we take control of the marketing so that we can throttle it? The, the leads from clients, the referrals, that's icing on the cake, but how do we make the cake? And uh, the number one discovery is the reason the vast majority of marketing fails is because it's ordinary, it's best practice. In fact, if you hear someone in the industry say, oh, the best practice is email campaigns and everyone's doing that, that's the one thing that will least likely work because the consumer has become overwhelmed with it. In our mind, there's this thing called habituation. Habituation is the mind's ability to very quickly identify something as relevant or not relevant. And uh, I'll give you a quick example. With emails, I remember the first time I got an email, I said, hey, friend. I mean, this is years ago. And I saw it, I was like, oh my God. I have a friend who calls me friend. Who, which friend is this friend? Like I was so excited. And then I was like, hold on, this is a marketing message. Hmm. Shyster. And then the next Hey friend came through like a day later. And I was like, is this really a friend or is this marketing? By the third one, I had become habituated when it says, Hey friend, it's you marketing. Switching off. Yeah. I turn it off. So the Hey friend, whoever did the first Hey friend genius 
Second, you were kind of a little bit late to the game. Third, you're done. And that's true with marketing. So Get Different is a fundamental system on how to do marketing that your competitors aren't doing, how to differentiate and stand out. And it's not outrageous and wacky, could be, but usually it's just something that's unexpected, different, can be uh, through any medium. It can be professional. If everyone's doing email, maybe you simply do direct mail and you're going to start winning customers again. So it's breaking out of the norm. That's what about what Get Different is all about. I love it. Tell me what is really driving your passion for all of this, because you are, you know, you are somebody to me that seems to live, breathe and eat entrepreneurship. It's oh like God, in your so blood. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'll show <laughs> me you. Too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I, got, I love that you love it. There's a sign right there. It says eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. That's my wall here. Oh, I have I it. I love that. This is my office. I have it at home. Every day, I make sure I look at that and, and pay attention to that. Rewinding my life, I, I was an entrepreneur early on, but when I faced struggle and I lost everything, uh, I lost everything. I lost my house. I lost everything because of my ineffectiveness right. as an angel of death investor. That restart was a visceral moment. We're waiting I mean, for that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then one day, but, but it, I went through depression, and, but I was grateful for that period in retrospect. Because what I did was I started to investigate what I didn't know about entrepreneurship. And I found it's not just me. A lot of people don't know how to be profitable, sustainable. A lot of people don't know how to bring efficiencies to their business. So what I did is I tried to boil down all of these concepts to the essence of what works to make it really, really simple, simple and doable. Honestly, for myself and the businesses I own today and for anyone I can share it with. And uh, I feel compelled. You know, there's 300 million small businesses globally, 300 million of us that are, that, and a lot of us are struggling and uh, I just feel compelled. I got to help yeah. every single person. And I know I feel I'm not going to be able to do it in my lifetime, but I need to leave a legacy that uh, after I leave this planet, that future entrepreneurs have a tool or vehicle that will serve them. So that's why I do what I do. I love that. I love that. And I know entrepreneurial poverty as well, because between the age of 23 and 26, I built four separate six-figure companies and multiple six-figure companies. Then I worked in them all. Um, so you yeah. know that that story doesn't end well. Yeah, and, yeah. But, you know, even though there was all this money around, none of it was kind of going in my pocket, you know, like there was, and it was, and you're, you're, you're it's kind of flabbergasting because you're like, how you know the money you can see big money coming in but by the time it's gone to everybody else and all the things and suppliers and stuff like that and I had brick and mortar businesses at that time um then you know you got to the stage and you were like there wasn't a lot left and so and of course that creates the what I call the hamster wheel of life where you're literally on the hamster wheel trying to keep up with it all um and it's such a stressful anxiety inducing state for an entrepreneur and yet so many of us as entrepreneurs I call us life's doers and fixers we see a problem and we want to do something about it and we want to fix it so you know having entrepreneurs with money I never thought that that's a bad thing in the world because we're already called to fix and do things for humanity and so I love that that's your mission and that's what really drives you tell us um a little bit more about because you've gone into kind of coaching and things like that now as well so I'd love to hear a little bit about Mike the coach what um what kind of you know you do I know you do a lot of keynote speaking and obviously yeah, yeah. COVID, you probably do a lot more but 
Um, tell us how that looks for you right now. Yeah. So, uh, I personally do very, very little coaching personally, just because my queen bee role is to write books and, and I'm a spokesperson behind it. So once I write a book, what we're doing now, keynoting and so forth is uh, the most important way to propagate the message and to be a service, mm -hmm. I feel. So that's the other thing I do. But many people that read a book don't know if they're doing it right and they need coaching services. So the companies that I am a partner in or own outright are all businesses that do the service end behind it, the coaching. Okay. So for Clockwork, we have an organization called Run Like Clockwork. It's led okay. by uh, my partner, Adrian Dorison, who does a phenomenal job. And we've now coached thousands and thousands of businesses through it. Same thing with Profit First and Pumpkin Plan. Even Get Different, I have a new partner that's joining me to, to ensure that people are doing it right. That has been the most effective model. I, I find, you know, my intention with my books is that everything I know, every ounce of knowledge I have is in there. And my hope is that people can do this on their own. It's, it's all in there. But it's kind of like a recipe for a big meal. Um, you can do this, but if you don't have the right tools, if you haven't prepared a meal before, you may stumble and, and you may burn it. You may have an Instagram fail that you post. So um, that's why we started these organizations to ensure that people go through this process the right way and see, see a great result. The shame is when people try to do something on their own and it fails and then they say, oh, this doesn't work. No, it, it does work. They may have just not done it right. So we want to have a, uh, an ability to outreach and support help, uh, support and help people. I love that. One of the other questions that we love to ask in the Million Dollar Experiment, I'm kind of scared to ask you, but I, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going for it. Um, <laughs> it's not that scary. <laughs> but how important has intuition been to you? Does it play a role in your business? Has it ever played a role in your business? Um, because obviously the metaphysical experiment that we're running along with the Million Dollar Experiment is can mindset and intuition make you a millionaire? in one year. So yeah. how, you know, does that play a role for you? Oh, I, I think it's massive. You know, I, I believe it's divine intervention, uh, a greater source. And uh, I know when I became an author, um, I always had this little dream inside me. In the day when I had nothing, uh, I felt this voice, wherever it was manifested from saying, become that author. And it made no logical sense uh, to do it. But my intuition was so strong that I did it and, and, and it served me. I've also found when I ignore my intuition, the consequences can be dire. If nothing else for me, in my day to days, it, it serves as a beacon for investigation. When my gut says, this is, this is what we need to follow, mm -hmm. I then look for the data to back that. And uh, in most cases, it's the right way to look. So I, I am a big believer. And, and I do, I I do believe in a greater source uh, that brings yeah. that stuff about. I, I, I think we're all here to serve a role and a function of service to each other. And there's some kind of master plan that's beyond my ability to ever understand, um, but but just to be of service in the way that I best can be. Thank you so, so much for joining us on the show. I really appreciated your time. It's been a joy being with you. I'm just wishing every entrepreneur tremendous, tremendous success. <laughs>